So welcome, everyone. We made it to episode 20 of Roll for Enterprise. So thanks for sticking with us. Or if you're just joining us, thanks for joining us. And there's some good stuff also in the archives. Uh, as ever, Zach, Mike, and I are here to discuss the news of the week in Enterprise IT. Obviously, what everyone's been discussing has been the uh, NVIDIA buying ARM, or at least making a big bid for ARM. And I think, Zach, you probably have the strongest opinions on this one. So why don't you lead us off? Yeah, first, let's cover the difference between ARM and Intel. I think that's where we have to start. If we look at ARM, they do things a little bit different than Intel. Intel provides their CPUs, they manufacture them, they do all the engineering in-house, and they sell them to vendors, manufacturers. ARM, obviously, is a little bit different in the fact that they sell the intellectual property. So Qualcomm, Apple, whoever it might be, they they purchase this this technology and they, they develop their chips. And by the way, this includes, we all know, AWS, Alibaba, they leverage ARM. And the ARM has a lot of benefits. It's low power. It provides a lot of benefits over, uh, over Intel, in my opinion. I think it's bad for the industry. I think it's more than... Uh, I think on the surface, it might look good that, hey, NVIDIA is looking to become an AI leader and provide AI platforms. But when you think about it, I think NVIDIA was under siege with their business. I think they had to do this because GPUs are unique in the fact that GPUs were, were made really for, you know, these displays and gamers. They also happen to be very effective at, you know, uh, providing, um, you know, uh, uh, these AI capabilities as well. And I think now if you look in the cloud, look at, for example, uh, you know, uh, Google and they have TPUs and tensor uh, processing units, TensorFlow processing units, et cetera. They're about you know a third, maybe half of the price. I think they had to do something. I think it's bad for the industry. What does everybody else do now, especially the people that compete with NVIDIA? I, I'm not a fan of it, although I think it might accelerate a lot of these chip startups. Uh, Mike, what do you think? Well, when, when you say bad, Zach, I mean, is it just from a, a competitive or just because they're like getting to a point where they have too much in their wheelhouse? Yeah, I think competitive. And then again, if you are all these other vendors, you know, Huawei included everybody that leverages ARM, what do you do? I mean, do you, you know, now that NVIDIA has this, do you continue to, you know, there there is no Switzerland anymore. There is no, you know, man that's, it doesn't have a vested interest as providing this, these vendors. So uh, I, I guess it all depends on what they end up doing with, um, with, with ARM at, at this point. I mean, there's, there's nothing else that would, um, yeah, would would raise alarm bells on my side. I mean, it, it, ARM is a bit like the red hat when it comes to OS. Am I am I right in in that analogy? Uh, I mean, to the experts, you guys. Yeah, I agree. That's somewhat. To a yeah, point. Still... Con- continue and let's see where you're taking it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, Intel has has lost its dominance. I, I think that's still kind of the the theme here. I mean, how's Intel gonna? going to resurrect itself here? I, I, I don't know. The fact that Intel didn't go after it is a bit uh, disappointing, but I guess they have other issues in their wheelhouse. I think GPUs, CPUs, whatever you call it, it's it, it's chi- it's the chip business. It is um, it is what it is. And, you know, people still don't give, <laughs> I think it's crazy, but people still don't give NVIDIA the credit they deserve because they have really become the leader in, in, in chips, right? So, uh, when it comes to AI, they have established themselves as the leader. People are starting to move away from them. I, I don't know why, but maybe it's it's price. It's uh, it, it's a bit wanting to have that diversity. So you see a lot of people going with with ARM chips. 
Um, then everybody's putting arm everywhere. Uh, so I think Intel has lost the dominance. Chinese players everywhere have really put arm uh, in all their products, right? Uh, from phones, from data centers. So yeah, there's some concern there, but I, I, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's putting everybody into, uh, into the NVIDIA house and them trying to establish themselves as a true uh, chip layer and, and stop, start forgetting about them as a, as a graphic card maker. I, I think that's their play, right? Well, hold on real quick, though. I, here's a problem with NVIDIA. I mean, they are not, they're anti-market. That's their nature. I and mean, they're not open. Was it Linus Tyvold? What did he say uh, years back that pretty much he said F you, he did say F you NVIDIA because they didn't want to play nice. So how do you know they don't and kill that's off? That's why there was never an NVIDIA driver built into Linux. Yes. You always had to go do yes. weird stuff and get a binary driver. Yeah, exactly. So real quick, what if they kill off ARM? They can do that now if they acquire them. You know, that's the, the, think about that. You say, no, they'd never do that. But who knows? I mean, they their approach and their philosophy approaching this, Mike, I don't think it's of, hey, we're going to make this product better. I think it's how can we, in my opinion, how can we screw everybody else? Uh, Dominic, I'd love your thoughts. Yeah, and so there are a couple of things here. So the first one is, as you said, the ARM is uh, one of these things. It's not like you buy an ARM CPU. You buy a design from ARM, you take it to a foundry, and they will make you a chip. And then it gets even more complicated because in the end user is often not the designer. Apple's kind of an outlier in that sense. Um, so it seems to be in good business for NVIDIA to buy ARM. Uh, someone pointed out to their market cap as she went up by almost enough to cover the shares that they're going to pay SoftBank uh, for, for ARM. And so they effectively get ARM for free, oh, which is nice. Uh, good business if you can get it. Uh, equally, someone pointed out uh, that one of the NVIDIA product lines is actually an ARM licensee itself. So there's a little bit of double dealing there. I'm not sure I see them shutting down that ARM licensing business. It's so central to everything. And the the main, the, the poster child from being Apple and Apple being one of the founders of, uh, of ARM, it wouldn't entirely surprise me if they had some sort of golden share slash poison pill slash something, something to prevent that from happening. Although there is an open question of how reliant Apple even is on ARM anymore. Notably, they're not moving to ARM, they're moving to Apple Silicon, which is a design based on ARM that's uh, diverged some time ago. Well, will more companies go that way? Because I mean, that's what you need to start thinking in, in, in this way, right? I mean, you could stop what, whatever you want and, and try to stop using ARM, but ultimately um, you need to hire the experts to design it yourself. Is that what you think other companies are gonna do? I very much doubt that. I think uh, ARM and the data center, as we said, back when Apple made their move to Apple Silicon, uh, with ARM all the way from the cloud to the ground, from the data center to the developer's laptop and everywhere in between, uh, that's going to enable the sort of easy integration, easy programming that used to be the case with x86 before the complexity that uh, that came when uh, the mobile devices went a different route uh, from x86. So that that's, uh, I think, the, the future that NVIDIA is aiming for. So now NVIDIA is, they're in the cloud automatically, right? They're now they're exactly. where they want to be with AWS or they're with all the cloud players because the power is so much, so much better, the power consumption compared to Intel, but yeah. And I and I guess the Mellanox and like no one's talking about the Mellanox acquisition, but the Mellanox acquisition put them in mobile, right? So I guess they're in mobile. They're in they're, they're everywhere that you need to be right now, which I think Intel never never achieved, correct? 
or they deliberately shied away from was they they did have mobile business and they divested. But uh, the other angle here beyond the technical is this sort of uh, nation state grand strategy, what's going to happen with uh, the US and the UK. Uh, So the UK is extremely unhappy with this deal because Arm is still very much a British company. The research has run out of Cambridge, uh, not the one in Massachusetts, the real one. (laughs) And... (laughs) And so there's talk of uh, job losses and the UK government stepping in and uh, people being unhappy with that. And on the US side, there's the licensing aspect. As a UK company, Arm was able to license its chips and it didn't fall under US export regulations. As a division of NVIDIA, not so much. So all those Chinese handset makers that are using Arm designs in their chips and now can't do that, or they may be having second thoughts about whether they will be able to do that in the future. So that's going to be a complicating factor in any analysis. You, you can tell the world has changed because five years ago, we never would have uh, spoken about this um, this international impact, but now it's like a country by country impact kind of assessment. I think that's um, emblematic of uh, the direction the world has gone. But I, I don't think that would slow down anything unless one of the governments decided to step in against the will of uh, of another, which could be the case with um, with China here, seeing how uh, dependent they are on arm. Right? Um, I, I think that is more uh, more possible than any other scenario. You took the words yeah. right out of my mouth, Mike. There's more at stake right now, a lot at stake, and that's why everybody, even China, is up in arms trying to figure out what to do. And the big question is whether this will drive more people to go to risk five, risk V, (laughs) depending on how you read that, uh, which truly is open. And who knows whether ARM will turn out to be just one of many players in this new world, and it'll be the enabler for NVIDIA, but there will be other players. It's going to be interesting to watch this one play out. Do we really believe that uh, from an AI perspective, people are really looking at uh, what the underlying compute is? Like when you talk about TensorFlow, I mean, I, I see it as as um, two groups, right? I, I see a group of like, um, let's say uh, a business whose core business is not IT. I don't think, you know, when they build uh, AI solutions, okay, they're going to look for uh, you know, uh, Azure GCP or um, AWS solutions that leverage, let's say, artificial intelligence. But if you're a true artificial intelligence company, that's your core business. I, I don't think you look at like TensorFlow and all those and and, and those TCPUs uh, because you're going to build the most optimal based on, on any architecture and you just want compute. And I think there's two conversations there and everybody automatically defaults in like, hey, NVIDIA is under threat. But I really don't I don't think they're under threat in, in any way. I think they still have um, the best AI chip because it's a fairly generic AI chip. I don't completely agree with you, Mike, because with AI, it's all about accuracy. The more accuracy, the more power, less accuracy, less power. This was Intel's issue. This is why they came out with that new chip line a little over a year ago. So to say, I don't think they care if it's ARM. Yeah, the end user might not care, but you probably care if you're providing you know, AI capabilities or AI functions. You definitely care. And this is where ARM comes into play because the, the power consumption is where, I mean, power is everything. When it comes to drones flying for an hour to deliver packages, the reason we're not there is power. The reason these Teslas aren't, you know, class five, it's power. If power is, I mean, we're hearing more and more about sustainability and power. So I think... Well, not that I think I'm. T- I, it absolutely is is advantageous to leverage ARM. Now, 
to say that they were where they wanted to be, I don't agree with that either. I don't think NVIDIA is exactly where they want to be, uh, where they, well, they weren't before this acquisition. Now they're getting there. And time will tell. Time will tell what they do with ARM. Time will tell what their plans are. But sometimes you have to look at a company's uh, track record to figure out where they're going or where their mindset is. And like I said earlier, their track record is they don't play well with others. I mean, they're a walled garden. They are Oracle. They are Oracle buying sun. They are the Oracle. And so, you know, I think there's um, there's something to think about there. Yeah, and they've got that nice business where they give away the software suites, uh, CUDA, uh, but you have to buy $1,500 worth of graphics chip uh, to make it do anything useful. Exactly. So what's the next step for NVIDIA here? I mean, okay, they purchase ARM. I mean, what, what's what's really the next step for them that, that we see we see happening out there? My assumption is they won't kill the goose that lays the golden eggs. They, they'll keep it as a division. They'll continue the licensing deals. Uh, they, they'll run it take advantage of it for their own stuff, uh, but just keep it running, uh, which will also get them uh, a lot of brownie points with the UK government if they keep that Cambridge Research Division open. They need the data of what they're doing to build the, the next product into the NVIDIA line rather than into the ARM line. So we'll, we'll see more in going into the NVIDIA lines is, is what I suspect. Yeah, more cores than those graphics cards. Yeah, I suspect that as well. I think... Um... They will be, you'll see them on-prem more and more. I think that's the other thing. I mean, who's really offering a drop-in solution um, for this? And I think they, they have that now for the enterprise. And, you know, I think that, um, I think you guys are both right on that one, actually. I, I agree. You know, I don't think they're going to kill it off. I did bring it up. I brought it up because I think it's something you have to think about. I mean, they have that, they have that ability, right, at their disposal. But definitely don't think they're going to do that. I do think we'll see an acceleration of some other, you know, chip makers, uh, some of these startups. De- definitely some companies are sitting around the table discussing the risk and, and what's the risk if they shut down ARM? What happens to us? How do we make it? How do we survive this? So I, I, I'm pretty sure those backroom discussions are happening, how they want to approach this, if they want to, you know, uh, signal that they're OK with it, signal that they're not OK with it and and drive um and drive what's what's happening uh, there. Um, I, I, that has to be happening behind the scenes in boardrooms of, of companies that are heavily in, invested or using ARM in, in different places. Definitely that. Yeah. Well, that's above our pay grade. So we'll see how those discussions play out. So, but let's revisit that one because I'm sure there'll be more news coming out of that one in the weeks and months to come. Moving on, and speaking of follow-up, uh, let's uh, follow up on some recent stories. So we talked about low-code and no-code, and just to prove us right, Airtable just raised $185 million, not bad at all for a Series D. And uh, that is obviously one of the biggest no-code platforms, and it's doing exactly what I described uh, as the, the easiest path to value for these tools. It's taking people who are already comfortable with spreadsheets and offering them just a little bit more, not too much, but enough that they have more power at their disposal. And having spent a bunch of yesterday afternoon swearing at the limitations of a spreadsheet and wishing I had a proper data platform to work with, uh, I can definitely see the potential value there. Unfortunately, in this case, the data was in a format that wouldn't have worked for our table anyway, but hey, let's not get into that one. You guys have any comments there? I, I'm. Um, I mean, there's no surprise, and and I'll tell you one thing: as as I deal with um, other companies and and companies, we start to like uh, exchange data. I, I'm seeing more and more of these like uh, low code um, SaaS solutions coming my way, right? Uh, whether it's one company using Airtable, Smartsheets is one I see a lot of. I mean. 
they're they're getting in there and especially on some of these these companies that we deal with in the tech field they're they're starting to use more and more of these tools and i and i think to what's happening it's the augmented um you know the augmentation of an employee's ability and slowly getting them to a point where yeah, they're becoming a developer and unlocking that efficiency, that power in, in things they can do. This is going to continue to happen. And I think whoever can make it happen faster and without employees realizing it is going to overall win all these spaces. So this is the this is the hot new area. And, I, and we're going to see more and more investment in, in this space with, without a doubt. So, Mike, do you think that this is, you know, what the business has been waiting for? Do you think this will, is this kind of the last straw to go ahead and we talked about shadow IT. And again, I, I don't believe in that. I think the business already has a lot of IT. But do you think this is it? Do you think this is what finally just accelerates it? You said you made a comment just a second ago about before anybody realizes it. Yeah. I absolutely believe that. I absolutely believe that the the. I mean, it's just a skill set um, that an employee is going to have, and you're going to start seeing it in job descriptions. Is what I what I believe, right? You might have a job description for someone in in a, in a business that uh, is a manufacturer, and potentially like a marketing job will have some what we would consider like IT skills listed in there. And I think it's already there, and I think it's only going to get more and more. Uh, pronounced in these job descriptions and like, Hey, I need a, you know, someone who knows Airtable and can, can move around it. You know, I, the, the biggest threat here is to, is, is to office and what Microsoft's doing. Cause I don't think their, their power apps is, is quite at a level that they're happy with. And probably the threat is there. And this is only one area of like kind of the low code, no code movement. But I, I think it's one that is, you know, slowly going for the office suite, but I don't think the office guys realize it. So yeah, I, I believe that the employee will just have an additional skill set, and and they'll start teaching it in schools, and then the schools will will have it, or they'll take special classes to learn it. And yeah, then I got that that checkbox. I, I don't think I need I need IT to do that, and the businesses don't believe they need IT people to do that. So yeah, it, it's you know you want to call it shadow ops, I just call it part of the job. And I'll take that one step further as well. The other interesting thread to this announcement beyond the funding was that they were also taking the next step. They're saying, okay, no code was good. It gets you off the ground. It lets you do these things. But there's a point where you're like, okay, this is actually more effort than if I could just uh, pop open a terminal window and write up some code if you have the ability to do that. And so now you can build these Airtable apps in JavaScript. And once you build them, you can share them, including selling them through the marketplace. And I think that's the first step towards integrating these no-code platforms properly into enterprise IT so that you can start taking these platforms seriously. When someone's built a whole bunch of business logic in Airtable, but I don't know Airtable, so this may be a problem that's already solved, so substitute platform of your choice. Uh, but let's say that platform doesn't have a backup capability, uh, it crashes or it gets acquired and shut down, and you have no way to recover all of that work that, you, that your employee did, that's going to be a problem for you. And so these capabilities getting built in, version control, all of this type of stuff, are going to assuage a lot of uh, the, the fears that corporate IT managers might have uh, for these new platforms that are coming in. As you say, inevitably, as more and more people use them, it becomes just a skill in the way that use of Office was a few years ago. Uh, this is going to be the new requirement. So 
in that same vein, uh, as we all start to get back to work, if not necessarily to the office, depending on where you all live, um, I'm always remote and my employer's offices are closed until next July. Uh, but my wife, for instance, works with physical products. And so she's back in the office some days a week with new protocols and whatnot. Uh, so I was part of a conversation with uh, some IDC analysts and some other industry people. And there's a free white paper that came out of that conversation about what this will mean culturally for companies when employers are remote, how you maintain a sense of community, how you enable people, how you just work together as a unit instead of just a bunch of isolated people uh, in their bedrooms and closets and so on. Is that something that you're tracking, Mike, in uh, uh, in your business? Because you're in a slightly different position. I'm sure a bunch of people have to get into the big physical machines to do their jobs. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, you mean like who has to and who doesn't? I mean, we've taken the stand where, yeah, you know, as as part of the business, there's people who need to be in an office if you're making a widget or uh, let's say you need to go out and, and service a, a piece of equipment. So there's people going out and, and servicing and, and people building. Um, but for the most part, anybody who can be outside of an office continues to be outside of an office un- until we're at the point where, yeah, depending on your geography, you can. Uh, I-, I think what we're starting to to feel, though, and what businesses are starting to feel is there's um, a, not an efficiency loss, but an effectiveness loss, if I can. And I, I think it'll it'll take time. It will take definitely an amount of time for different businesses to feel that loss of effectiveness. Uh, and, and some businesses will feel it and some won't. But I, I still believe that that's um, a, a bit of a problem to some companies who have been so used to being office-based. What a, what a dynamic discussion. This is at least an hour-long discussion. But work from home is, you know, first of all, it's different than traditional work from home. Some people say, I've been doing this for 10, 15 years. And we all have to some degree in IT. But it's different during a pandemic. You have kids, you have family. It is vastly different. So anybody that says that, throw it out, just throw it out the window. Because since the middle of March in the U.S., it's working from home doesn't mean what it used to mean. So there's a lot of challenges. I think the big thing. Yeah, I used to like working from home. And then it turns out I had my kids doing their homeschooling from home at (laughs) the same time. That's a different beast. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's. It's also like a lot of work from home people, they travel a lot, right? So you're not like at home for this long of a period. You're still right. going out and seeing people every once in a while. Guessing but, your fix of human contacts. Well, so you guys just brought up a great point, and that is isolation, mental health. We're all reading. I'm reading about it. I've read a lot of these articles uh, lately where there's a mental health issue. People are feeling like they're isolated. They're in isolation. And these are the people that typically maybe haven't worked from home or maybe they have traveled a lot. So I think there's this whole other side effect to this that we have to figure this out. I mean, how do we solve this? How do we, you know, how do we get better at this? So I, this work from home has a, it's just a, it's just a big discussion with a lot of dynamics. You know, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of organizations don't have the ability to brainstorm and kind of come up with the, the next big idea that they have in their business, unless they're sitting all in a room. If they're not sitting in That's a room, hard. they're not coming up. Yeah. And if they're not sitting in a room and coming up with these ideas, then what happens, right? They're, they're not, but there are companies who are very used to being spread out and brainstorming and coming up with ideas and, and, and jamming on these thoughts. And, and then they, they develop like strategies while everybody else is in isolation and they can move a lot quicker. So we are going to see a big divide with companies who are very adapt to working from home and companies who are not. Look at NVIDIA acquiring ARM, right? 
where, where's Intel in this game? Like, has anybody else approached ARM or is everybody paralyzed just trying to keep the doors open where some companies are actually thinking ahead, right? And, and that's where the difference starts to, starts to happen, I Agreed. I and that was a big strand of the conversations I had with IDC was that transition. So in March, we were all in emergency panic, keep the lights on, just stop the wheels from coming off. But by this time, you need to be transitioning from sprint mode to marathon mode. This is going to last for a good while yet, depending on who you ask exactly how long, but it's not going to end tomorrow. And so you have to, to change modes. And I made a godfather analogy there. You need a, a wartime consigliere. You need to change the way you look at things, the way you strategize. And some companies are going to be better positioned. Uh, I work for a company that's always had a strong remote culture. Admittedly, we used to complement that with a lot of face-to-face -face meetings, which we haven't been able to do, but we had a good basis to build on. People who were used to just going into that open plan office, only hiring within a 20-mile radius of headquarters, that sort of thing, they're going to struggle more. They're going to have a, a steeper hill to climb. Do you think this benefits these smaller companies uh, over the larger companies? You mentioned Intel, the smaller companies, you know, that um, you know used to maybe go on a sales call and you know there were two people, and larger companies might have had eight. Do you think this favors them or or not? I don't know. I think uh, larger companies are more used to orchestrating between different units, at least if they have a healthy culture, and so they have at least some mechanisms in place to do that. Smaller companies might really be the entire company fits around one long table, and then they might struggle more when they can't do that. Small, small companies have an advantage, no doubt about it. Large companies, like it, 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 let's put it this way. If you want an idea to go through on a large company, there's more red tape. There's more people you need buy-in from. You know, there's none of this like you know the the sidebar negotiating that happens. It it it, it it's like you're you're almost paralyzed because you're a big company. If you have fewer people to deal with, and you're sitting there, and someone comes up with a great idea right away, and a you know what's an effective meeting, right? Is is it seven eight people? Well, great, seven eight people can make a decision and then go after something. Whereas a big company might still be paralyzed. Come later, sure they have they probably have all their ducks in a row by they by the time they come, but it might be too late by the time they come to that great idea. So I, I think small companies definitely have an advantage in this space. I don't know. I just I just wonder whether a lot of that is based on people having a coffee together and talking over the issues and they don't have a mechanism to replicate that serendipitous conversation. That, that, that's absolutely true, but I don't, I don't think the coffee conversations are happening on the side anymore. But at smaller companies, those coffee conversations probably are happening for the simple reason that they're all sitting together talking. If you're listening, Jason Freed, please come on the show and help us <laughs> yeah, we need to get some outside perspectives here to get our own thoughts straight. Okay, um, so we're coming up to the half hour mark. So let's talk through recommendations. I found a really cool tool this week, and I've already used it for a couple of different projects. Uh, so I'm probably going to cough up for it when the 30 day trial is over. It's called Solver, S-O-U-L-V-E-R. And we'll have the link in the show notes. What it is, is it's basically that middle step between a calculator and a spreadsheet. For when your calculation is just a bit more involved than you can do with a calculator, uh, but you don't want to bust out a full spreadsheet, this gives you basically a blank sheet of paper, uh, or, you know, virtual uh, blank document. 
you can write your calculation in pretty much plain text, but it performs the calculations and you can chain the calculations as well. You can take the output of one row and paste it in later on uh, so that if you change things, if you change the inputs, those will ripple throughout the whole thing. It's very clever. It's some very nice UI design and it's just a really useful little tool. So highly recommended there. Well, that's, that sounds great, Dominic. I'm going to check that out. For me, it is Facebook announcing their new VR headset, Oculus Quest 2, $299. I have not used it, but I think it's interesting that they have an office feature. So you can put this on and you will feel, and by the way, we're just talking about work from home. You can feel like you're in the office. I'm not sure how that works, but there will be a link in the end. And uh, I think it's worth checking out. It was a great read. Again, I haven't used it, but I thought it was very interesting to to sit there. There is a keyboard from Logitech that we you'll use, and actually, your screens will even be appear larger, which I think is pretty cool. So, hey, if you couldn't afford that large thirty two inch you know monitor, well, maybe now you can put this on your head and it'll look like a thirty two inch monitor. So, very interesting. I I, I don't know. So I I followed the same. Um the same kind of talk on, on the Oculus Quest 2 there. And, you know, there were a lot of people that were really excited uh, saying, oh, this is the AR VR future that I, I I dreamed of. But, you know, the people saying it are pretty much the the very geeky ones. I, I, I don't know that this will catch fire, but it, it is interesting enough that I do want to try it. So, so good point there. Are you going against Zuckerberg? No, I'm not going to put anything Zuckerberg <laughs> in my house, that's for sure. Um, but leading into that, everybody's talking about like like Social Dilemma now, the new uh, documentary on uh, on Netflix and all that. And um, just to tie into that, you know, I read uh, No Filter, uh, the Instagram story. Uh, quite interesting, quite interesting about how like Instagram got sold and, and built up its brand. Uh, it, it, it's a good read just to put things into pr- perspective and, and how, um, yeah, I, I think how how worried Kevin Systrom was um, of, of not selling to uh, to Facebook and, and being ultimately destroyed by by Zuckerberg. So it, it's a good read to tie in some of those um, some of those subjects. And, and, and on a side note, um, TikTok is apparently talking to to him about becoming their next CEO. So lots of movement there, lots of things happening. I, I think it's just an interesting read to, to tie it all in together. So yeah, that's uh, that's my recommendation. Good one. I've actually been meaning to check that one out for a while because Instagram doesn't really make sense to me. Twitter's my thing. I'm not a visual person, I'm a textual person, but it's it's so big I need to understand it better, uh, especially before they break it, which it looks like they're in the process of doing. And, and Instagram has has the audience and uh, to um yeah, to the Facebook um, luminaries, I think they're worried that uh, the blue app is is losing influence to Instagram, but yeah, that's a discussion for another day. Definitely. That sounds like a long one. Okay, well, thanks, you guys, especially for guessing through 20 whole episodes. That's a, a nice milestone there, a nice round number. Talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. And uh, remember, check us out on the socials, uh, LinkedIn, Roll for Enterprise, and Twitter, Roll Number 4 Enterprise. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, Have thanks. a good day. Thank you, everyone. Um.